Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, all of our Liberty-loving friends? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. I'm one of the hosts here, Charles Chuck Thompson. With me, as always, the one who knows just about everything there is to know, but not everything. Top of the afternoon to you, Mr. Nathaniel Paul Thurston. What's up, Hawaii? Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Hawaii. We know we are your favorite morning show. We always do it around 3 p.m. Central We're going Standard back to time. your Polynesian heritage. Yeah. yeah. So, the, yeah. You know, it's still probably morning in the Philippines and stuff like that. It's morning in Japan it's right morning. now. Exactly. You know, back where my grandparents are from. Yeah. <laughs> so, great grandparents. Great, great grandparents. Yeah. 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 So, it's, it is a morning show for whoever wants to listen to it. And thank you for listening. I am, as Charlie said, the one who knows just about everything through i don't remember what you say i don't know that that's the one thing i don't know is wow. what charlie calls me all the and time i say it every time <laughs> yeah i every, can't remember how you say it almost every single time so we were talking in the pre-show about charlie's skincare routine and yes. i gotta tell you it sounds amazing it is it sounds so good i was just giving him just five stars on the amazing skincare routine <laughs> that he is using here's right the now. thing i'm not against skincare obviously and there are things that do work the thing about it is is like do you have time to, to do it. No. Is it worth your time? Some people think it is. Look, my girlfriend has a skincare routine every night that takes at least, she thinks it's like five minutes, but it's like 30, 30 to 45 minutes, mm-hmm. depending on the night. Okay. And depending on what you're doing, there's exfoliation and there's cleaning, like regular cleaning. And then there's like dermaplane and then there's vitamin C oil. And then there's, there's a lot of stuff. And let me tell you, I can also see on the bank statements. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I'm just not I'm kidding. She, she does her own. Skincare. I'm not going to do that. I'm just, I can't. My wife tries to get me to put the anti-aging cream on. And I, I thought she said anti-aging cream when I was starting to get kind of, you know, upset about it. But no, right. it's anti-aging cream. Yeah. And I was like, no, I don't need that. Come on. Well, look for all you guys out there. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it. I don't think I, I just was telling the live group before the show that, uh, my girlfriend did something called dermaplaning, which is basically they, a razor blade that you like put at an angle and you scrape across, takes all the dead skin off. And um, it was, I feel refreshed. I'm just going to say that. It's not that I don't wash my face or anything like in the shower. It's just, I didn't, I don't typically wash with a razor blade. You make sure you do the, you got to make sure you do the razor blade thing on a good day. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no fights or anything beforehand. <laughs> you can't do it. We're in a like knockout drag out about what happened the previous. Oh, let's get this razor blade out. Two years of our lives. And then she's like, I'm going to dermaplane your face tonight. No, you're not. Nope. All right. Charlie, tell me about the, the we have a couple of things that might've made it into dumb bleep of the week, but there's no way we can wait until Friday. It needs to happen now. Mm-hmm. And so Bernie threw in a couple entr- entries into the dumb bleep of the weekend, which is what we'll, which is, which is what we'll do right now, I yes. guess. So Bernie's going to have a couple things. I want you to tell me what you think about Bernie's plan for helping people. But first I want to tell people to smash that subscribe button, Nate. They need to smash it. Okay? Todd, Todd destroyed it. He said, "Isn't that the same thing as shaving?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't shave my forehead. No, because shaving's or, cheaper, Todd. Or my nose. <laughs> this, this is different. <laughs> I don't shave my forehead or my nose. I guess. Yeah. So maybe I should take the razor to. I don't know. Just take your your whatever razor. I don't shave my face, obviously, so I don't yeah. even know what they're called anymore. But just take the whole thing. Just shave. Just rub it just over your whole face. Shave around there. Yeah. Maybe that'll work. I don't know. Let's try it. Yeah. 
It's not called dermaplaning. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get that marketing in there. Back in my day, you know, we called that shaving. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't used the razor in over a year. I can't. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. And I won't shave my face right now because I put on 40 pounds in the last two years. And I don't want you guys to know what it actually looks like. <laughs> so I'm going to wait and lose yeah. lose weight first. It's the COVID pandemic diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I put on the... I put on the COVID-19. Ain't no shame, Ain't no shame in and it. And then more other yeah. than that. Yeah. The, the freshman <laughs> COVID-19. Exactly. Plus 19. 19 plus 19. All right. What a Bernie Hit do? that subscribe button, folks. That's what I was trying to tell you as Nate crudely interrupted <laughs> my conversation with you. I, we were having a great conversation. And then I interrupted. And then Nate interrupted. Yeah. So hit that subscribe button. It's free. It sends it directly to your phone. So anyway, Bernie, is this the first one up here? It's the first one. Because there's a... There's more that you showed oh, there's me earlier, more, yeah. so I was curious yeah. which one this was. Oh, no, there's more. But uh, Bernie says, um, oh, I saw this. So the tweet says, when your philanthropy matches your humility, truly a great man. <laughs> and the picture is of Bernie Sanders and says, Bernie Sanders threw his meme on a sweatshirt, charged $45 for it, sold out immediately in all sizes. Then donated 100% of the proceeds to Meals on Wheels, Vermont. How about that? Yeah. Now, why didn't he just send it straight to the federal government? That's what I can't figure out. I don't know, because the federal government should have distributed yeah. out well, the Meals on Wheels. That's what they do. Everything that they do is the best use of your money. So I don't understand why he would pick a, a private, I believe they are a private charity, although they do, they receive government funding from things, mm-hmm. I, I believe. But they are volunteers and private donations and, and things like that. Send the meals out to people. On using wheels to get them there. Yes. So meals on my my great grandma used to get some some meals on wheels when she was in her early nineties. You know, so it's a great organization. I just want to know why Bernie would choose something that he specifically wanted to fund and give the money directly to them instead of just giving it to the federal government. I don't know. That just seems like a wild idea that capitalists have probably maybe he's trying to figure out if this whole capitalism thing will work Mm. by the way can we put the meme on a shirt and um and compete i don't know can anyone take that meme and put it on something and we'll take the profits and reinvest it into jobs Mm -hmm. jobs charity (laughs) because we need to hire some people yeah like like australia which we'll talk about here in a minute the bernie meme though has taken over the internet it's good this thing is everywhere i like it every time and it mixes well with just about everything. Mm-hmm. And the guy's been MMA fighting. He's, <laughs> That's a good one. He's been he's been doing all kinds of things. Yeah. I even saw um, a friend of mine. She had a, a Bernie doll when she was a little girl, apparently. Isn't that special? dressed just like the way he was dressed at the inauguration. Isn't that special? Isn't that the, you kind of sound like a leprechaun. <laughs> kind of a leprechaun <laughs> Yeah. Okay, well. Does, it, does that sound like a leprechaun? <laughs> Isn't that the, the special? Um. So that I just thought that was kind of funny. Even when Bernie decides he's going to help people, he does it by picking a specific organization and uh, selling something that people want voluntarily and then taking the proceeds from that and giving it to a specific organization that he cares about. Isn't now, that weird? I wonder what the actual proceeds are. Yeah, I don't know. Because his shirt company probably now has a net worth of at least a million dollars. It probably was a good... I know that sweatshirts, obviously, there's a high base cost on that. So we don't know what the proceeds actually were. But my thing is, is why don't we take the gross sales? Yeah. Because, you know, Bernie and his followers like to take gross sales of things. That's true. Why didn't he he, uh, donate the entire gross sales? Right. 
I mean, Walmart made $400 billion. <laughs> Never mind that they only profited half a billion off of that. <laughs> okay. So I don't understand why he donates the proceeds. He should donate everything that comes in. Charlie, I don't know how you feel about unions, but the uh, Chicago teachers unions got my uh, got my Asian up today. <laughs> I'll tell you how I mad. feel. I'm gonna I'm gonna interject something that's not in the notes here. I'll tell you how I feel about free market unions. They can be powerful. Mm-hmm. What I mean is like when people just decide to organize, they don't have to specifically create some kind of union. They just decide to organize with each other. They can move markets literally. They can. And we saw that happen on a couple of stonks. <laughs> that is that true. Very interesting. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but we teach a, a trading class with, if you're interested in that, you can go sign up at mastermind trades or mastermindstonks.com. But, uh, for those of you not familiar, go sign up and learn a little bit. It's, it's free to sign up actually. Yeah, and um, you get it free for a week. See if you like it. Exactly. But I, so I'm going to talk a little stonk real quick because when it comes to union, I was telling you this before the show, I was like, I have no problem with people getting together and deciding that something is more valuable than it should be because that's the free market. So there's this group on Reddit. They're called wall street bets. I call them the wall street boys <laughs> probably cause I'm sexist, but <laughs> it's called wall street bets. And, uh, this it's a community of over 2 million people on this, on this Reddit subreddit. And so they decided that GameStop and bed, bath and beyond and a few other stonks, Blackberry, AMC, Blackberry, AMC, they just decided uh, and what they're doing is they're targeting um, stocks that have a lot of short sellers. And so you probably need to take the class to understand this because we explained it a lot better. But essentially, when there's a heavy short volume, uh, a heavy short float on a stock, um, to, to get out of your short position, you have to buy the stock. And when you buy the stock, well, obviously that increases the price because it's just like somebody coming in and buying. It's it. an auction. It's that. It's literally an auction. So what they did is they had a bunch of people start taking positions on GameStop. Well, GameStop started going up and people who were short on GameStop had to start covering their position. So they started buying to get out of their short and GameStop went on a, what, I mean, it went from $20 to one sixty in three days, four or five days, something like that. So it was unbelievable. And that all was because of technically a, a union, not unionized, <laughs> but yeah. a group of 2 million people that decided Hey, this is what we're going to do. And they wanted to squeeze out just like Elon Musk. I thought we should create GME short shorts, GameStop <laughs> short shorts, and yeah. sell them, sell them to people who got burned in that. This has been a strategy. This has been a strategy by Elon Musk, by the way, I, I believe he orchestrated. I think he's smart enough to have orchestrated this whole thing. Tesla has always had a lot of short sellers in it. And when you stop out of a position, like it goes against you, you have to buy as a as a short seller and so they keep having all these shorts pop in and then elon musk is like oh by the way we're gonna do this and so a lot of buyers come in and they push the shorts out of the position and does what's called a short squeeze and the price goes up a whole bunch Mm -hmm. bunch of shorts lose their money elon musk hates short sellers he he absolutely hates them and so then as soon as they get a bunch more pile in he's like oh by the way we're gonna entice him to buy yeah to to short he'll say like oh tesla's overvalued in my opinion (laughs) and a bunch of people short tesla and then the next day he's like oh by the way we just saved the entire planet everyone buy our stonk you know it's just it's pretty funny so that's a good example of a continuous short squeeze there coming from tesla anyway that's a union like yeah. what Charlie said, that's a group of people really doing organizing something. together and deciding, hey, if we all put, pull our money together in this stonk, we could raise the price, even if GameStop's not worth it. Because let me tell you something, it's not. Not worth it. Not worth it at all. It's not worth 160 bucks a share. Now, did I buy it at 100? 
120 <laughs> and 140. You bet your ass I did. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I made some money. I did lose some money on, on it's pretty volatile stock, but uh, I made some money on some of the trades and I lost some money. It was a lot of fun to play. It was fun to watch today. So those are kind of things. Uh, some some of the things that you can see, I believe you mentioned it in the live this morning. Mm-hmm. Said watch for these certain levels. I said if it crosses one hundred and one, it's going to fly, and it did. It Went did from one hundred and one, stri- basically straight up to one hundred and fifty nine. Yeah. So um, you uh, do the math, folks. The, the teachers unions, on the other hand, I feel like that's a more fun union. Not voluntary. Yeah. Not voluntary. If you become a public school teacher, you become a member of a union, and uh, you you really. You can't even opt out of it. You can't opt out of it. Not in Illinois. I think in some states you can. Yeah. Some places you can. Um, Maybe Tennessee is one of them. I don't know. Right-to-work states probably have the options for for not being involved in the unions. I have a special hatred hatred for unions. Uh, My mom was a teacher for 25 years, the teacher's union. Uh, What what they did completely screwed her, her over. And the part of that that I hated so much was she moved from one school to another um, didn't have tenure there yet, uh, was let go because her pay scale was so high because the union specifies how much you have to be paid based on the amount of years you've been working. And then she was unable to get another school to hire her because she had worked so many years. Uh, they, they were like, well, we don't have the budget to do this. And the union specified, we've got to pay you this amount of money because you've been working for, for 20 years. We have to pay you this much. And she said, I will work for less than whatever the pay scale says I have to get paid. I need to get a job as a teacher. I'm an awesome teacher. I've been teaching for 20 years. Let me work and you can pay me an entry level salary. She was just trying to get a job as a teacher. And they said, we can't do it. We cannot let you work for that, for that amount because it goes against what the teachers union say we have to pay you. Goes against our contract. Goes against the contracts with the unions. We can't do it. If you do it, then other people are going to do it, and that's just going to mess up the amount of money that we as a union get to take in all the time. And that's what they're actually worried about. So what's going on in Chicago, Chicago, is they had these, these orders. They had to go back to school. They're going to reopen the schools. And what's going on now is the teachers union is striking. And saying, we're not going back into the schools. Now, this is a disgusting thing to do, especially considering all the stuff we'll bring in here in a bit. The schools are not hotspots for COVID. We don't know why, but kids <coughs> typically are not carrying and transmitting this virus. The, the states that have been open for this whole time have not been COVID hotspots. The transmission rates, the infection rates are lower than the general population in the schools. Actually, it's safer to be in schools <laughs> if you look at the data. Literally, your own home. Literally, it's safer to be in schools yeah. than, the, than it is to be at home. So anyway, Chicago Teachers Union refuses in order to go back to classrooms. This is from Reason. Members of the CTU, Chicago Teachers Union, voted overwhelmingly on Sunday to continue to teach remotely, even though district officials want teachers back in classrooms beginning this week. Chicago Public Schools Chief Executive Officer Janice Jackson described any refusal to come to work on Monday as an illegal strike, according to the Washington Post. The union reported that roughly 86% of its 25,000 members participated in the vote and 71% of teachers want to keep teaching remotely. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. They don't want to go to work. Isn't that crazy? Quote, CPS did everything possible to divide us by instilling fear through threats of retaliation. But you chose unity, solidarity, and collectively act as one, said the union in a statement. I hate unions. All right, sorry. (laughs) I just do. Unions are good for people who could not get that wage on their own, just so everyone knows. Unions help people 
who would not otherwise be able to get that wage from their employer. But what about all the protections that unions provide, Nate? Yeah, I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like them. I don't like I I think you should be able to form them freely, join them freely if you want to. But unions are for people who would not otherwise be able to demand that wage. And so I can't like it. I just can't. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not I'm not into it. The union has previously claimed that the push to reopen schools is rooted in sexism and racism. Even though the inadequacies of virtual education are disproportionately harming young people of color and forcing hundreds of thousands of women to exit the workforce. And when the district decided to hire 2,000 new employees to assist students in the classroom, if their teachers opted to continue with distance learning, the union objected to that plan also. Wow. The districts hired 2,000 people so the, so the kids could go back to class and the teachers could stay home if they wanted to. And the union still said no. It has nothing. All this is is a ploy to try and demand higher wages. Yes, that's all it is. They are striking to try and demand higher wages and more benefits. That's, that's all that's happening. Many families would undoubtedly prefer to reclaim their <clears throat> per-pupil dollars forcibly confiscated via taxation and spend that money on education options that actually meet their kids' needs. Private school, pod-based learning, tutoring. But the public school system obviously won't give back the money. It will continue to compensate teachers even if they refuse to work. Can't this get fired. From, it's from reason, by the way. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Completely unreasonable behavior is not solely the province of Chicago's teachers, by the way. This is going on in other places. Fairfax, Virginia Teachers Union boss Kimberly Adams expressed opposition to five-day in-person learning next fall, even if all the teachers have been vaccinated. <laughs> even if all the teachers have been vaccinated, they don't want to go back to school. Hmm. We're, <sighs> science, science, you know? Yeah. We are entering the age of sciencing. It's hard. It's mm -hmm. hard to get up and go to work. Now, does that mean the teachers are anti-vaxxers because they still think that vaccines don't protect you? So therefore, why would you even get the vaccine in the first place if you can't be around people? I don't understand. Why would I be incentivized to get the vaccine if they're telling me, if my teacher is telling me that even if I have the vaccine, I'm not safe? I don't want to be there. It's not safe. <laughs> In an email, the reason Adams confirmed that she believes the hybrid model, two days of in-person and three days virtual learning should remain in place for no apparent reason other than it's easier for the teachers who do not want to have to get up and go to work. Now, look, I'm, I can tell you I've, I've worked from home for a while now, essentially, because I started my own business. So I get to make that decision. Um, and I can tell you that there are a, a hell of a lot of advantages working <laughs> from home. There is. It's it's nice not to have to get up every morning and and put on office clothes and go deal with traffic. I mean, there was that one time I was dealing with an hour and a half to two hours worth of traffic every single day, and that can suck the life out of you. I know yeah. what that's like. So there are definitely some pros. There are some cons as well because, I mean, you know, I hired you, so it's nice that we get to spend time together. But when you're working home alone, that kind of sucks. Although for the people who like to be alone, then it's perfect for them. So I can understand people's incentive and motivation to want to stay home because, you know, working from home is nice. It has its perks. I can use my own toilet. I can make my own sandwich. I don't have to go anywhere. I can sit in my underwear if I want to, you know? Yeah. You guys don't even, I'm wearing a shirt. According to the <laughs> That's live group. it. That's no it. No one else knows what's going on. Is it blue? Yeah, it's dark blue. It is blue. Okay, good. You're right. Making sure. Yeah. It's blue shirt uh, Monday, <laughs> just in case you guys were wondering. So there, there's a lot of advantages to working from home. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely there are. Um, and you can see, I mean, I think a lot of the workforce is going to move home because especially in this age of 
the technical revolution and things like that, or technical evolution, uh, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of companies are realizing that they can save money by working from home, having their employees work from home rather than working uh, at the office and paying for the exorbitant cost of these massive sky risers. Yeah. They're probably not cheap to rent. Yeah. I bet. But when you specialize in a schooling, maybe that's not the time that you need to decide you want an at home career for the, for the rest of your life. I I think maybe it's time to choose a different career. Right. That's what you want to be at home. Yeah. That's, that would be, and, and unfortunately, since the unions run everything, since they run the education system, since they run the politicians, uh, what the union wants is typically what you're going to get because you're able to just strike and not send any of your teachers into the school. Mm-hmm. And that is extremely unfortunate. And uh, it doesn't help the students. That's the problem. I, I really feel like we should be working on things that help the students because the point of the schools is not to employ teachers. The point of the schools is to educate children. And instead, what we've moved towards is the point of a school is to employ a teacher or to babysit your children. Those are the two main things that, that a school provides, is babysitting and employment. And that should not be what it is at all. And until we move to a more privatized school system, that's not going to happen. Of course, we'll, we'll continue here. So Adam says, concern remains that students will not be vaccinated before they return to school, said Adams. This requires that we maintain the hybrid model and continue social distancing, masking, and other mitigation strategies. Now that be clear, she's still okay with in-person learning two days a week, normal school, two days mm-hmm. a week. Yeah. But she's worried that students aren't going to be vaccinated, uh, even though there'll be the same kids there those two days a week. Obviously, increased exposure is going to carry ex- increased risk. There's a problem. There's no plan to vaccinate students right now. They're... There, there isn't. They're not high up on the totem pole because they shouldn't be. In fact, they're not even approved. No, they're not even approved for kids younger than 16. We're not vaccinating kids with this vaccine. Mm-hmm. All right. What Adams is suggesting is essentially that schools should remain mostly virtual indefinitely. That is exactly it. Forever and ever. Yes. Yeah, so, and also quote from, here's the other problem. There's, there's an issue with kids and depression suicide rates, all these things. So they say this is a horrifying prospect for many families. It's especially tough for kids themselves. Nevada's Clark County School District, which includes Vegas, recently made the decision to reopen in part because of a rash of suicides among young people. Quote, when we started to see the uptick in children taking their lives, we knew it wasn't just the COVID numbers we needed to look at anymore. Uh, Jesus Jara, bold name, (laughs) Clark County superintendent. A lot to live up to. I think that's Jesus. Jesus. I don't see any different uh, little, uh, what you know, little symbols over those letters there. So I'm just going to call him Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, most people are going to read that and say this person's name is Jesus. <laughs> that is a lot of pressure to put on your kid. That's all I'm saying. It's, all is right? that a he or? We'll go with Jesus. Is that a he? Which is still just Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> so, in <it's, it's> Spanish. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> that Times report, which goes into great detail, and they, they talked about a report from the New York Times, quote, we have to find a way to put our hands, uh, to put our hands on our kids to see them, to look at them. They've got to start seeing some movement, some hope. That Times report, which goes into great detail about the pandemic inflicted mental health crisis among kids, is not for the faint of heart. Young people, thankfully, have very little to fear from the disease itself. But, but society's strategies for coping with COVID-19 have impacted them severely. 
Many of the most disadvantaged children, those who rely on the public school system, have been at home for nearly an entire year. We are already seeing the effects on their mental health, and the future will likely bring equally bad consequences in terms of their educational achievements, college prospects, and beyond. That's because we are social beings. Yeah. You need people, right? You have Not to... me. I don't... Well, yeah. you still need some people. Me, my family, and maybe yeah. you, and my wife. If you were alone, <clears throat> all by yourself, with no no one to yeah. see... In the Patreon group. No light. Yeah. Yeah. Then you would you would not do well. In fact, uh, the if you are a, a newborn, requires actually some love and affection. You can't just put it in the crib and mm. never touch it. It'll die. That's not good. Yeah, that's true. So people need, and we we talked about this too, because there were several sad stories of kids taking their lives during this pandemic because they're not seeing their friends. There's no, they don't see any reason to live. Plus, according to them, the world's about to end in ten years anyway. Yeah. Because that's what they're being told by everyone. That must be nine years now. Nine or however many years we have left. I oh, it was sorry, it's 12, <clears throat> two years ago. Yeah. You're right, so now it's 10. Something like that. We've got a decade left, folks. YOLO. The annoying part is that this is all done under the guise of science and safety because we don't want to spread COVID, right? That's, that's why we're having mm -hmm. this whole conversation. So they go on to say this is all happening despite the fact that schools can reopen safely and have never been associated with a significant COVID-19 spread. I this has even been proven and you can read it <clears throat> in the Atlantic and the New York Times and the Washington Post. All of them have came out and said that schools are not COVID hotspots. Mm -hmm. they, they, even they have came out and said that. Look, I did the arrhythmia on it the <clears throat> other day and I proved it a fact of fiction. <laughs> I'm telling you, it ain't hard. Take out your number two pencil and a, and a pad of legal paper. Yeah. You can just perform the arrhythmia there, man. So let me just tell you a couple things. This is from NPR. Actually, Charlie, can you read the NPR one real quick? Yeah. So emerging evidence, NPR. Uh, Enrique Alvarez at the Universitat Policanensinca <laughs> de Catalunya looked at different regions within Spain for his recent co-authored working paper. S Spain's... <laughs> This is why you have me read these because yeah. I am a professional linguist. Okay. So did you guys, I hope you kept, caught that. I'm sure they did. Yeah. So uh, Spain's second wave of coronavirus cases started before the school year began in September. Still cases in one region dropped three weeks after schools reopened while others continued rising at the same rate as before. And one stayed flat. Nowhere, the research found, was there a spike that coincided with reopening. What we found, quote, what we found is that the school being opened makes absolutely no difference, Alvarez told NPR. And then uh, hmm. this this next one, I can handle uh, reading this one because there's no hard words. Oh, okay, it, so. yeah, I'm glad I got that out of the way for you. <laughs> this this one we already we already discussed. This is from The Atlantic. It's entitled Schools Aren't Super Spreaders. In early August, the first kids in America went back to school during the pandemic. Many, many of these openings happened in areas where cases were high or growing. In Georgia, Indiana, Florida, parents, teachers, and scientists feared what might happen next. The New York Times reported that in parts of Georgia, a school of 1,000 kids could expect to see 20 or 30 people arrive with COVID-19 during week one. Many assumed that school infections would balloon and spread outward to the broader community, triggering new waves. On social media, people shared pictures of high schools with crowded hallways and no masking as if to say, I told you so. Just a picture. Now, this is from The Atlantic. Yeah. Crazy left wing. Uh, Trump murdered 400,000 people Atlantic. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
since early last month, I mean, the email notification every time someone dies from COVID, Atlantic kind of thing. Since early last month, I've been working with a group of data scientists at the technology company Qualtrics, as well as school principal and superintendent associations to collect data on COVID-19 in schools. Our data on almost 200,000 kids in 47 states from the last two weeks of September revealed an infection rate of 0.13% among students and 0.24% among staff. That's about 1.3 infections over two weeks in a school of 1,000 kids. 1.3 infections over two weeks of a school of 1,000 kids. Basically 0.1%. Or 2.2 infections over two weeks in a group of 1,000 staff. Even in high-risk areas of the country, the student rates were well under half a percent. School-based data from other sources show similar low rates. Texas reported 1,490 cases among students for the week ending September 27th, with a million students estimated at school, a rate of about 0.14%. The staff rate was lower, about 0.1%. Interesting. And what that equals, by the way, is uh, since the rates of the survivability rate is so high on COVID, uh, that basically... Essentially, the death rate is about zero from schools. Statistically. Statistically zero Mm -hmm. from schools. But Nate, one teacher death is too many. Yeah. Yeah, that is. is, I don't like it when any teachers die. The problem is. I don't like it when anyone dies. I'm still part of Antita. The problem is there's no difference in when people are staying at home or when people are going to school. So the, the, the thing you're presenting here... you can't here, force me to be in that situation, Nate. I, I can't force you. I don't I, care if it's different. And, and, I feel differently about it. And you can't force me to pay you money for not doing your job, right? <laughs> no, but you can because I, yeah, I, I signed that contract. Because yeah, you're in the union. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. I got so you. We unionized against you. Because <laughs> your money comes from the government. So you yeah. can force me to pay you even though you're not doing your job. Exactly. I got you. See? I got you. I see what you're working on here. It's a see profit how this game. this works? Okay. Yeah, but basically, so the union sending out this vote essentially is like, it's it's like, it's like the um, it's like a survey on like, do you want to win the lottery? Does you say yes or no? <laughs> like, oh wow, ninety seven percent of respondents said they yeah. wanted to win the lottery. Yeah, this is so weird. Would you rather would you- have to get up and go to school every single day and be around these kids who annoy you to no end that you can barely stand being around mm-hmm. at all, or would you like to stay at home? And be on your computer with Netflix with no pants on all day. Which one would you like to do? Well, they're going to want to stay at home. Yeah. And they're going to use faulty science and faulty fear tactics to their advantage. I like That's what Todd says here. He says, I like how governors who campaign to not open schools are now in favor of reopening after, or now in favor of opening after re-election. Isn't that weird? Isn't that, in, isn't that the spit? <laughs> it is, it, it's just, uh, it's quite comical to me, this complete turnaround we've seen from all kinds of people. Um, by the way, did you get that video I sent you from uh, Mayor de Blasio? Um, oh, yeah, I can't remember. I did watch that. You don't have that Oh, about up, him wor- About him working out? Yes. About how important it is for him to stay in good health? His gym yeah. stayed open. Yeah, that was good. No, I, did, I didn't pull it. I forgot about Dang that. It. Yeah, that Dang was good. It. But you see all of these, you know, you see all these folks. Nancy Pelosi was one of them. You see the elite that now that uh, the election's over and they, able, they were able to use this crisis to their advantage and their political power gain. Now that it's over, well, we're, it's fine to reopen the economy because now we want to make money because now we got what we want. We got the people we wanted in power. So now it's all about reopening the economy and making sure that we make uh, our people that are in power look good. 
and uh, people, and then on top of that, the hypocrisy is just mind boggling to me. And I'm, you know, again, I wasn't a Trump fan. I didn't vote for the guy twice. Um, (laughs) I, I do think there were some good things that he did. I think there were some horrible things that he did, but at the same time, you have guys like Mayor de Blasio who ran for president, by the way, as well. He did. And, uh, they, they were just absolutely trashing people in the right, uh, people on the right wing, essentially, or conservatives, people who were, who were, you know, protesting about freedom and saying, Hey, let us go back to work. Those were all terrible people. Um, but you know, de Blasio's gym can stay open. In fact, it had to stay open so he could be healthy, so he could make decisions for the people of New York City. That was just ridiculous. <laughs> um, I think I actually have. That's uh, like let me a, see if I have that clip. That's like it's the hilarious. preacher man. What's that preacher man who said that he needed a private plane so he didn't have to be in a tube full of demons? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that? No, I have not I think seen it's that. Kevin Copeland or whatever. <laughs> you know, he was asked why he flies private. He's like, well, I can't, you know, I can't be in a tube full of demons. <laughs> I can't fly commercial. Absolutely. I knew in advance that it was a very socially distanced situation. There was almost no one there. I had heard that information prior. Um, I suspected that we were all going to be about to close them down, and this would be the last chance to get some exercise. I got no exercise whatsoever over the weekend. I was in this building uh, a huge percentage of the time. I need exercise to be able to stay healthy and make decisions. I'm going to figure out some new way to do it going forward. Now that he got caught, I need exercise to be able to stay healthy and make decisions. Yeah. Now that he got caught, he's like, I'm gonna look for a new way going forward. Oh man, that's good. Oh, Maurice is right. It was Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland can't be in a tube full of demons, so he needs to fly <laughs> private. So, um, okay. Well, that's uh, that's my thoughts on what the union is doing. I I I hope we can move away from this sometime. There's a lot of teachers who are going to continue to defend the union. And unfortunately, that's just out of selfish incentives. It, it, it really is. This does nothing to help students, which is what you're supposed to do as a teacher, which is help children learn. The at-home learning is a joke that is, honestly, if you ever thought that public schooling could get worse, it, it really can. It's public schooling at home. It, it really can get a lot worse. and so we got to come up with a way to fix this. And one of the main things I would push for, even though I'm not a fan of the government taking any money, an easy thing to do would be to push for the money following the student and not the money following the district that you're in. So so a parent can take this money that is following the student and decide to go to a private school or do the the pods or whatever that they're going to do. And that's, that's, one and, thing know, I would definitely support. The argument for unions is that they, you know, well, look at the good things they've done. Like they've improved worker safety and they've gotten higher wages and things like that. As if the assumption was the market wasn't going to do that anyway. As yeah. if the trend wasn't already heading that way before unions formed. Unions are there to make money. That's what they're there for. Just like everyone else. A union is a government. That's, yes. that's really all it is. Yes. Everybody's incentive is to make money because... Well, it costs money to run these unions. You can't just expect the leaders of the union to be performing their services out of goodwill. Uh, you know, can't be no prono, pro bono situation. They've got to take part of that money that you donate to them for administrative fees and all of that. Now, I will say, I mean, collectively coming together with people and sharing some things like you and I, Nate, are in business together and we share some things. 
it's it's better um a lot of the a lot of the times to collectively partner with somebody um that can share let's say the cost of a lawyer or whatever like there are some benefits i would say to collectivizing but there is no benefit when it's forced collectivization it has to be done voluntarily otherwise it's just um it's force now, Todd did point out that um, due to a court case, uh, I think he said all unions, or you are able to opt out of the unions. Um, I don't know when that when that happened. I know basically uh, they made it seem like it was a career-ending scenario for my mom to not be part of the teachers' union, like she was going to be uh, never be allowed to work at a school um, ever again if she wasn't part of a teachers' union. And so that is another thing that they do, basically. Well, yeah, you can opt out of it, but good luck getting a job. Mm-hmm. You know, good if you're not part of our union, good luck. Because guess what? We're going to prioritize our own members or the people that are going to be able to to receive these positions. So there are, uh, obviously, if you can't opt out, there are other things in the way of that. I moved this Tulsi Gabbard article up for you, Charlie. Because Todd is saying it's only public sector unions. Public sector. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Um, which, which would include teachers. Yeah. Yes. Um, I put, I moved this Tulsi Gabbard thing from National Review up for you because you like talking about uh, spying and surveillance and and uh, privacy. Oh yeah, things the like things that. that are being introduced into our Congress right now are just uh, just absolutely terrifying. We played some of the video from former CIA Director John Brennan. Yeah, and so uh, this is going to be absolutely crazy. I believe. Um, this is uh, from the National Review. Tulsi Gabbard, d- domestic terrorism bill is a targeting of almost half of the country, probably more. Yeah, it's literally the entire country. But anyway, I think she. This was on from Joe Rogan, right? Uh, she talked about this mm-hmm. on Joe Rogan. So, Tulsi Gabbard, the former Democratic representative from Hawaii, on Friday expressed concern that a proposed measure to combat domestic terrorism could be used to undermine civil liberties. Uh, not, the word isn't could be, it's will be. It's, it will, will be used in fact, to undermine civil liberty. In fact, our, um, our already past uh, foreign terrorism activities already undermine domestic yeah. civil liberties. So what do you think a domestic terrorism so what do you think? Do? Yeah, what do you think that's going to do? <laughs> we'll finally start spying on people overseas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll flip-flop it. Um, anyway, I was thinking about Tulsi Gabbard the other day too, cause I'm like, man, I feel like she's actually someone I would vote for. Now I disagree with her on several economic key points and things like that, but she seems to actually be a level headed Democrat. Yeah. You know? I like my dictators to be level headed. That's, yeah, that's how I like them. No, what yeah. I'm, what I'm meaning is, is that I don't think she's so, I don't think she's as liberal as she's not. She's not further to the She's left. She's not than, a leftist. She's not further to the left than no. Bernie. No, no. She actually cares about the Constitution. Yeah. Like, I don't think her and AOC would get along very well. No, no. But they would agree on a lot of economic ideas, which is so, why I could never vote for her. Yeah. Um, just like I probably would have voted. Um, I, I don't think JFK was that bad of a president. Yeah. You know? Anyway, quote, it's so dangerous, as you guys have been talking about. This is an issue that all Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians should be extremely concerned about especially because we don't have to guess about where this goes or how this ends, Gabbard said. She continued, when you have people like former CIA director John Brennan openly talking about how he's spoken with or heard from appointees and nominees in the Biden administration who are already starting to look across our country for these types of movements, similar to the insurgencies they've seen overseas, 
that in his words, he says, make up this unholy alliance of religious extremists, racist bigots. He lists a few others. And at the end, even libertarians. She said her concern lies in how officials will define the characteristics they are searching for in potential threats. Quote, what characteristics are we looking for as we're building this profile of a potential extremist? What are we talking about? Religious extremists. What are we talking? Are we talking about Christians, evangelical Christians? What is a religious extremist? Is it somebody who is pro-life? Where do you take this? Gabbard said, she said, the proposed legislation could create a very dangerous undermining of our civil liberties, our freedoms in our constitution and a targeting of almost half the country. It's really the whole country. You start looking at obviously have to be a white person, obviously likely male libertarians, anyone who loves freedom, liberty, maybe as an American flag outside their house or people who, you know, attended a Trump rally. Gabbard said, all of a sudden you're now on a list. Yeah. So all it you probably are anyway, you know, yeah, Maurice is good, but the rest of you guys in this group, <laughs> you're out. Nah, he's, I mean, I wonder he's, what this, uh, he's an extremist. I wonder what yeah. this don't tread on me flag in the back. It's obviously extremist. You're on the list. Yeah. On the list. The domestic terrorism prevention act. Well, if you don't vote for that, well then obviously you're for domestic terrorism. Obviously you don't want to prevent domestic terrorism. (laughs) Was introduced in the house earlier this week in the aftermath of rioting at the U S Capitol earlier this month that left five dead. Unlike after nine 11, the threat that reared its ugly head on January 6th is from domestic terror groups and extremists often racially motivated, violent individuals. Representative Brad Schneider from Illinois said in a statement announcing the bipartisan wait, legislation. Wait, hold on. But unlike after 9-11, the threat that reared its... It says, unlike after 9-11, the threat that reared its ugly head was from domestic terror groups, extremists, and racially motivated, violent individuals. Unlike after 9-11... Okay, just making sure mm-hmm. because of the domestic part, I guess. But but yeah. uh, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's kind of yeah. weird. We, we got to make sure we don't count 9-11. Okay. Nate. All right. I got but, you. Yeah, you can't count that. Otherwise, it skews all the stuff. I'm just saying the, the threat on 9-11 with what happened um, did not come from people that were inside the country and part of a terror group or an extremist or racially motivated violent individuals. Mm. Not, mm. This is different. It's well, because we got to count September 12th. And okay. I got, okay. All right. Yeah. Just making sure, making fact, sure. Just forget 2001 ever happened. So okay. Start in January of 20, 2002. Yeah. Actually, let's start all history from January 6, 2021. Yeah. That's actually the day that history mm-hmm. started. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Making sure. Sorry. Quote, America must be vigilant to combat those radicalized to violence. And the domestic terrorism prevention act gives our government the tools to identify monitor and thwart their illegal activities. Combating the threat of domestic terrorism and white supremacy is not a democratic or Republican issue, not left versus right or urban versus rural domestic terrorism is an American issue, a serious threat that we can, can and must address together. He said, Oh, such words of wisdom. Oh man. Schneider. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Really appreciate the, the gusto to put this bill forward. Obviously, the problem do without them. The problem here is that this is just going to be a blanket thing where they can listen in to anyone and investigate anything. Yeah, you're part of a church. Well, 
this well, and, and someone being, went to this church that was uh, has a certain view, and now we need to investigate everyone at this church. Or you carry a Gadsden flag with you, and saw a lot of those on January sixth. Therefore, we need to investigate everything about you and make sure that you're not part of a terrorist cell that's about to do bad things. You just said the words terrorist cell on your podcast, so we're going to need to listen mm-hmm. to all of your phone calls and make sure that you're not, in fact, a member of said terrorist cell. You could even be a broccoli recipe stealing bitch <laughs> and be listed like Carolyn. Like yeah. My friend yeah. Carolyn who's a yeah. who's a Kritzen lady. Yeah. Yeah. You could be you could be her and all mm-hmm. of a sudden she's a domestic terrorist. You gotta now. be careful who your friends are. Yeah. <laughs> you just do. Uh I put the rotten. beginning she's rotten. I put the beginning of HR three fifty on there so you know what HR three fifty is all about. Mm-hmm. It's on here. Well and the thing that the terrorism part is important here because once you're labeled a terrorist then you can, then, then you're not, you don't, you're not protected anymore. You don't have constitutional rights because you're now a terrorist. So they can hold you indefinitely. This is part of the bill that Obama signed back in, uh, what was that? Oh, eight, oh, nine. Um, it's actually one of the things that, uh, Rand Paul was so against. The yeah, whole what time. was that called? What was the name of the bill? Todd's going to tell us. I, I like have Napa stuck in my head, but it's not that <laughs> it's DARPA. I don't know. Something, something like that. I can't remember, but essentially what it did is it gave the, uh, the government, the power to hold terrorists indefinitely, um, to, to, um, not, not give you a trial. So they could literally put you in jail for 30 years without you ever going to trial because now you're labeled a terrorist. And so that's, that's what they're doing. See, all this works together, folks. They, you know, they pass a little bit here in 08 and there's a little bit more in a 12 and, well, actually, they started in you know 2000. They passed a little bit more and just sprinkle a little bit here and there, and then they start to define all the words later, and then they use those definitions against you as they keep passing this garbage. Well, and you can change the definitions bef- of words all the time. It's before the Patriot to. Act, Todd. I, no, I think it was actually part of the Patriot Act. No, but what, uh, what was... I don't uh, know. I'm going to have to look Doesn't it up matter. while you move on to the next thing because this is going to bug me. All right. The next thing on the list here, by the way, H.R. 350, if you want to know what it's for, it is to authorize dedicated domestic terrorism offices within the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation to analyze and monitor domestic terrorist activity and require the federal government to take steps to prevent domestic terrorism. That is what that H.R. 350 is all about. Moving on to one other thing that should the have been... NDAA. The National Defense Authorization Act of 2014. Well, that's what I mean. We get those going all the time, man. We're just well, but, keeping that but, thing going. But in this, um, it's in this in that NDAA, that's what gave the indefinite detention. Um, I got gotcha. you. So look, <clears throat> almost seven years ago now, they signed this part of, and then seven years later, they're just going to say that now they define what terrorism is. Well, they're, they're broadening the definition of terrorism. It's no longer foreign actors. You can be a domestic terrorist. And so now they can lump you into that and they can just hold you indefinitely. This is how it all trickles down, folks. It's just like, you know, before they actually can round you up and put you in the camp, they got to take away the guns first. <laughs> so that, I was talking to Stephanie about this the other night. Like the thing, the reason why I'm fearful is because I'm, I'm a very good student of history. So, yeah, you can just see the way that these things play out. It doesn't it's, all happen at one time. No, no, but it's it's like the the writings on the wall. It's there. Now, 
I was telling her also, I mean, this could, it could take a year. It could take 50 years. It could take a hundred. Um, but I was like, shoot, I may die sooner than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Considering there's, I, there's only so much that I can lose of my liberties before I feel like it's time to make a stand. Yeah. You know, not a music stand or anything. I'm not really good at making those. No. I'm just saying like a stand, <laughs> you know? Okay. I'm going to take everyone through my early dumb bleep from Bernie. This is a little economic conversation a dumb bleep here. on a Monday. It is a dumb bleep of the weekend from Bernie. Actually, I got a photo here. I'll pull up real quick. And um, here's what Bernie said. And it, this kind of stuff drives me up the wall, man. It drives me crazy when he miss. You know, you can lie and be presenting completely accurate statistics. And that's one of the problems. You can cherry pick a statistic and you can make it say whatever you want. And these statistics that he's putting forward are accurate. Okay, they are real statistics. But what he is inferring from the statistics is not accurate. And the time frame that he is picking is not accurate. And he knows it. He's well aware. All right. I used to think that maybe Bernie was a, a, a pretty good, maybe honest individual who meant well. And honestly, I, I tend to not think that anymore. I think that he is a manipulative SOB uh, that, will, that will lie and manipulate to get the future that he thinks is the best. And I'm not okay with people doing that. Here's what he said. From at Senator Sanders, minimum wage in Australia, 1984 an hour. Unemployment rate in Australia, 6.6%. U.S. federal minimum wage, 7.25 an hour. U.S. unemployment rate, 6.7%. Please don't tell me raising the minimum wage to a living wage, at least $15 an hour, costs jobs. So the point he is trying to make right here is that raising the minimum wage doesn't cost jobs because our unemployment rate is currently higher than Australia's unemployment rate. And our minimum wage is $7.25 an hour, which almost no one makes. And Australia's minimum wage is $19.84 an hour, which by the way, roughly comes out to about $15 US an hour. And their minimum wage is 0.1% less than the US. So therefore... Raising the minimum wage does not cost jobs. Now, first of all, I want to, the first thing that I want to say on this is that it's very difficult to compare unemployment rate because there's this little caveat and people talk about this all the time, what the actual unemployment is versus the real unemployment, because there, there's a caveat where they just stop counting you if you're not looking for work anymore. And then also what's Australia's, what, what is their, how do they calculate their rate? Do they stop counting people? As well? Do so they, do they count less people? Maybe they count people that make less than $10,000 a year. I don't know. Yeah. So that is a, that's one thing I didn't even bring up. We don't know how they even calculate their unemployment rate. Could be completely different yep. from how we calculate ours. The other problem is we're comparing post-COVID lockdown economies, which I had this, I tried to have this conversation with some Bernie supporters, which they, they thought was ridiculous. Okay, I'll, I'll read you what some of they them said. They tried to burn you. They tried to do some Bernie burns on me, <laughs> and they didn't know that I'm, I'm impervious to Bernie burns. They don't work. And so I said, the point is, I was talking to someone else, I said, the point is he used post-lockdown numbers. And I'll tell you about what the Australian government did. But I said, after the Australian government focused on giving businesses money to pay their employees, and the American government focused on giving people money once they hit unemployment. 
It's a faulty comparison, and he knows it. This person says, it's actually a perfectly valid comparison because we don't live in pre-COVID anymore, do we? Nailed that one, didn't we? Like, what? And, and How I can said, you just decide? <laughs> like, oh, we're just we're not going to count pre-COVID anymore. Pre-COVID doesn't exist. And I said, not after the government shuts down the economy. Crying emoji. Yeah. Laughing crying emoji. And they said, no, indeed, after the government shuts down the economy. Because it's the economy in the present tense that matters. Good morning, Liberty Podcast microphone. Good work. Proud of you. Think harder. And by that point, I decided I would never go into a mental institution and try to convince someone of anything rational or logical. Okay, that's a waste of your time. That's a race of a. That's a a waste of a valid resource. So at that point, you just need to quit. All right. That it's not. I didn't do anything else after that because it obviously wasn't going to work. Wes said, if their, st- if their toilets spin the wrong way, does their unemployment rate stats even relate? <laughs> I don't think it even matters. <laughs> I think it goes um, counterclockwise there. And so the point that I made was pre-coronavirus, our unemployment rate was 3.5% and Australia's unemployment rate was 5.2%. And so I, you would obviously use this number as a comparison because once you go through a period of time where the government forcefully stopped businesses from being allowed to conduct business then your numbers after the fact are going to be very much skewed in relation to what those governments did to help their economy and to help their businesses after they forced businesses to shut down. Mm -hmm. And so now your numbers are not representing anything having to do with your wages, with your economy, with your GDP, with your anything. Now your unemployment numbers are having to do with, did your government, after they forced you to stop doing business, did they give businesses money to keep paying their employees and make sure that no one went unemployed? Or did they make sure they had a really badass unemployment line for everyone to stand in? Which one did the governments do? In Australia, they focused on giving money to businesses, just like Denmark did, just like a lot of the Scandinavian countries did. What they said was, we're going to shut down some businesses, but we're going to do what is called the JobKeeper Act. And we are going to make sure that any business who is losing money during this time will have enough money to pay their employees so no one has to go on unemployment. That is what Australia did. Yeah. That is not what the U.S. did. You won't lose your job. You won't lose your jobs because we are going to give all the money to the businesses so they can keep paying their employees. Even though clearly some people lost their jobs. Some people still did lose their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so that is a very different point where we incentivized unemployment. Australia incentivized people keeping their jobs. Kind of the same thing that Denmark and all these other companies did. So when the economy does open up, all the people will still be at the jobs. The businesses don't have to go back and try to rehire people. Now, what Bernie would call this is a corporate bailout. That is what Bernie would call this. He would call this corporate welfare. He would call this giving all the money to the big businesses. That's what a lot of people would call it. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't be able to do that specific plan. We did do it in some ways with the Paycheck protect- Protection Program things like that, but we didn't do it for all of the businesses and we didn't make sure that people kept their jobs like a lot of these other countries did. So you would absolutely compare their unemployment rates pre-coronavirus, pre-the government shutting down the economy, because after that, the numbers don't matter anymore. And Bernie Sanders knows this. He knows we just went through a period of time where the government literally forced businesses to close down and they had to fire people. He probably knows that Australia guaranteed people's jobs by giving money to businesses, and he still decides to use Australia's unemployment number versus the U.S.'s unemployment number after he was clearly in favor of a lot of people getting fired from their jobs because he would not want any of the money to go to businesses. He would want all of it to go to unemployment and to stimulus checks. 
So, yes, I was very upset about this, and there was no way that I was going to wait for Friday to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Now, some other things that matter. I did pull up information on what Australia did, by the way. Another thing they did for businesses, by the way, uh, the losses carry back provision, which will enable businesses with turnovers of up to $5 billion to write off any losses incurred until June of 2022 against profits made on or after 2018 and 2019. So if they have any losses in profits relative to what their profits were in the fiscal year 2018-2019, they before can, the pandemic started, before the pandemic, the pre-pandemic economy, any losses that they incur in their profits until 2022 can be written off against their taxes. Would Bernie Sanders support that? So basically they don't pay any taxes. So they're not going to pay any taxes. Yeah. And they can afford to lose some money right now because they're going to write f- all of it off. Up to $5 billion. Yeah. So... Uh, they also they also cut personal income taxes. By the way, the government the the government's main stimulus was they cut income taxes for people. They did do a seven hundred and fifty dollar stimulus, I believe, for people, uh, which equates to like um, uh, what would that be like five hundred dollars, basically yeah. U.S. something like that. A four billion dollar job maker hiring credit that will be payable for up to twelve months for employers who hire eligible employees aged sixteen to thirty five. And the JobKeeper program that was established to provide employment-related relief in the coronavirus pandemic. So, yeah, it does matter right now, post-coronavirus lockdowns, or still in lockdowns for, for a lot of people, because that absolutely will change what your unemployment numbers are. And using this, this is a problem. If your argument is so weak that you have to use manipulated statistics to try and make an argument for it, then you know he's wrong. Mm-hmm. He can't make an actual valid argument for how... minimum wage is not going to cost people any jobs. Even the National Bureau of Economic Research came out and said that what was up to 4 million people would lose their jobs, like 1.3 to 4 million people would lose their jobs if we move to a a $15 minimum wage. Even they said that. Now, even the CBO did. You would think, yeah, even the CBO did the same thing. You would think that after I researched what Australia did for their uh, for their businesses and the differences in that, that I would stop right there, but I didn't. What I wanted to go ahead and look at was, okay, let's just look. What's in the fact, cost? you still haven't stopped. I still haven't stopped. <laughs> I'm still looking, okay? What's the cost of living like in Australia? Because we're going to compare what their wages are. Now, he made sure he typed in federal minimum wage when he talked about the U.S. because almost no one makes the federal minimum wage. It's a starting wage, and I think generally people stay on it for about a month or two before they start moving up. I was reading about that the other day. Literally, an average of about a million people. Yeah, make seven twenty-five an hour. Our average, our average monthly disposable income, by the way, they've only got sixteen percent more disposable income than the United States in in Australia. Okay, so that's something that matters. Basic utilities cost twenty percent more in Australia. Uh, movie ticket costs fifty-two percent more. Clothing and shoes cost seventy-one percent more in Australia. Uh, the internet costs 30% more uh, in Australia. Let me see. What else do we have here? The local purchasing power, by the way, you have 30% more purchasing power in the U.S. than you do in Australia with your money when you do have it. Um, eggs, 73% higher in Australia. Uh, let's see. Bread is only 12%, 11% more in Australia. So you can still afford your bread lines. That's just fine. Milk costs 40% more in Australia. Uh Rice costs more in the U.S. than it does in Australia. Mm. That's that's where they get us right there. Everything else, oh, the shipping costs. Yeah, every it's that that dang rice number is throwing everything else. Um, water bottle of water costs forty percent more in Australia. 
real estate prices, the rent, rent indexed is 60% more than the United States. A uh, rent for a three bedroom apartment, 70% more in Australia than in the United States. Uh, transport prices, a new car costs 25% more in Australia. Um, apartment purchase uh, per square Per, per square meter in Australia is three times the cost of an apartment uh, in the United States. Jesus. Yeah, three, in Australia. Per square meter. Per square meter, three times higher in Australia. So, I mean, the, the consumer price index, 50% overall more in their prices than the United States. Okay. I got a whole bunch more on here, but I don't yeah. think we have to go through any more of it because I think we made the point. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so essentially, so yeah, you may technically make more on paper, but you're still spending the exact yeah. same amount. The cost of living is the same. Yeah. This doesn't change. And actually you and barely, they barely have a higher disposable monthly income than the U S even to start with. Right. So what's the, <laughs> but you know, this just gets too convoluted, Nate. It yeah. just doesn't matter. It's not as easy as saying like, Oh, we have the same unemployment and they have triple, uh, almost triple the wage Nate. You can't. So please don't tell me. This is what Bernie's saying. Please don't tell me raising the minimum wage to a living wage at least fifteen an hour costs jobs. Because yeah. even though the CBO said it would, it wouldn't because of Australia. <laughs> Look at Australia. Like See when you ask people, hey, why won't why won't uh, raising the minimum wage cost jobs? Australia. Look at Australia. Just say Australia. When you're when when Australia. you're Australia. When your manager is faced with paying your deadbeat ass $15 an hour, he's going to be like, oh, yeah, Australia. I can totally do this. Look at Australia. Yeah. That's what it's going to happen right there. He'll be, po- he'll be pointed back to this Bernie Sanders meme about how they can do it in Australia. And on his bank statements where he's losing money all the time. Reason down here, Australia. Totally, yeah. It's totally fine, guys. Australia. Mm. It's good. When he's late on his uh, electric bill. <laughs> Australia. Australia. But... Oh, good day, mate. Yeah, I can. I can afford fifteen dollars an hour. Of course, I can. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey, mate, you want a job, mate? <laughs> I'm offering jobs over here, fifteen dollars an hour, mate. That's a lot of mates, mate. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, that's an early dumb bleep of the week. I think Bernie Sanders wins dumb bleep of the weekend because he was the only entry mm-hmm. entrant. Entrant is <laughs> a word. <laughs> I looked it up. I just looked it up right now. It's a word in Australia, so it is a word everywhere else for sure. Are we going to start Dumb Bleep of the Weekend on Monday? Sure, we might as well. And then Tuesday, we can do Dumb Bleep of the Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, just be Dumb Bleep. <laughs> so, uh, can we have a whole Australian episode? <laughs> Jeff says, you sound like you're from London. <laughs> <laughs> Was that probably a mixture between London yeah. and Australian? It's a little bit tougher. That's why you have to throw in the mate that way. That's why you know. say mate. Yeah. Oh, good day, mate. All right, y'all. That's how you can tell I'm from Tennessee. Mm. All right, y'all. Now, listen, if you're interested, if you are at all interested in that there stock market, from what I've been hearing, people have been making a lot of money in the stock market. Okay. Mm-hmm. I alerted an option this morning's to people. If you just got one options contract, it's up over $200 there for one options contract, ma'am. You don't have to learn how to trade options right off the bats, but we do tell you how to trade options in this class. So if you want to go to Liberty Trading Academy, you can go to the website mastermystonks.com. That's that's mastermystonks.com. And you can sign up for a seven-day free trial 
And y'all can get to learning in that their stock market. There's all kinds of stocks out there. There's 10,000 stocks trading on the stock market. And I'll tell you what, man, I got some of them this morning and I made some money on them, man. So you want to get that promo code SAVE20. SAVE20 is going to get you 20 And all the videos on the website are in the same voice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, if a couple dumb rednecks from Tennessee can make some money in the market, well, by golly, you could too. You could. I'm not saying you will, okay? You could. That is yes, not a guarantee. The SEC makes me say that. Yes, it is not a guarantee. Mm -hmm. If you get in there and you do something stupid, you, you don't follow any rules, your money can... Li listen, once you put it in there, other people it can take it from you. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you make a stupid choice, your money's going to be gone and you ain't got no legal redresses on that man. Trust me, I tried it a couple of years ago and man, I just got to get in my money back. But if you go to mastermindstonks.com and use the promo code SAVE20, you can get 20% off your first two months. And I also want to mention that Mastermind Stonks makes you feel good in the morning, and we look forward to the release of their private trading, trading chat rooms <laughs> that are soon to be released uh, that make you money. Of course, uh, I cannot tell you that without the SEC telling me that I cannot tell you that you're going to make money for sure. But go to MastermindStonks.com, okay? This is going to be a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hope, you yeah. Guys, hope you guys caught that. Yep. Yep. Um, Wes wants to know if there's any, uh, he said Austrian stonks. I hear their economy is booming. I think he meant Australia. Yeah. Australia's economy. Yeah. Sounds like it's booming. Um, I don't know if there are any American distributed, um, oh, what's that called? ADR. Yeah. American distributed, uh, Aussie stonks out there. There probably are that are traded on the New York stock exchange, but I'm not sure which ones. But like Nate said, there's over 10,000 10, companies listed that you could trade. And uh, there's no rhyme or reason why they go up sometimes. But we can tell you through technical analysis what you could likely see happen. For instance, we were talking about GameStop earlier. Just to give you an example, Nate said this well, morning. I've traded some of these before, by the way. A-T-H-E is an Australian stonk. Oh, G-E-N-E yeah. uh, -E is an Australian there stonk. There you go. Gene. Um, I-M-M-P. I-M-R-N. There All kinds of Australian stonks out there. There you go, Woo, folks. They are making some money. M-E-S-O. Miso. Miso. Yeah. So there are some Australian uh, American shares out there. But anyway, Nate alerted this morning. He said, hey, if uh, if GameStop happens to go over $101, then it's possible that thing could skyrocket. Yeah. And what do you know? It went from 101 to 159 So there's $58 worth of... Uh, Worth a profit per share, depending on how many shares you got. It's all up to you, folks. We don't tell you what to do or how to do it. Well, we tell you how. We tell we you what we're going to do. We tell you what we're going to do. Or and, what you could do. And that's it. And you make the decision for yourselves. But there's always, there's literally opportunities every single day. And if the whole market is crashing like it did on March 13th, there's still ways to make money with it going down. Mm -hmm, it's called mm -hmm. shorting. And if you want to learn what that is. Go sign up. We're literally adding new members every single day. So you guys sign up. It's free, literally free for two days. And then you get seven more days. So you get nine days of freeness and learn all you can. And if you want to stick around, then sign up after that. Mastermindtrades.com. Use Take Classic. Patreon.com slash Good Morning Liberty is another place to hang out. It costs you five bucks a month. It's basically nothing. Sign up for the entire year. Save 15%, my friend. It's 15%. 15% or more if you switch Almost. to Patreon.com slash Good Morning Liberty. And then you get to be a part of the group. And when we do Dumb Bleep every single week on Friday when we want to, then uh, then you get to vote. I love voting. I switched to a London accent. Yeah. 
I'm going for my. That's pretty good. I want to bring Milo back. That's pretty good. Now you see, if you if you sign up for Patreon, then uh, five bucks a month, and then you could basically get a fifteen percent discount if uh, you sign up for the whole year, and then after that you join the group and comment back and forth with us, and uh, vote for the dumb bleep of the week every Friday when we go live every Friday when we want to. How could you not do what he just said to do coming from an accent like that? Do it, please. Yeah. You know please. he knows everything hearing yes. that. Of course. It sounds very proper. <laughs> Our office behind the soundproofing uh, widgets we got up is obviously rich mahogany. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. smell it if you're in here. Yeah. It smells like rich mahogany and sex panther. Yes. So. All right. If you guys do all that, share the show with a friend. Leave us that rating and review. We'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Will be a trial, and when that trial ends, senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John Donald John Trump incited the erection. <laughs> <laughs>